Welcome to the Great American Collectibles Show, heard Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on PSA.com and the PSA Facebook page. The Great American Collectibles Show is brought to you by PSA and the National Sports Collectors Convention. Tonight's headlines are brought to you by Sports Collectors Daily. For all of your hobby news, features, and more, visit sportscollectorsdaily.com. And now, your hosts, Tom Zappala and John Mallory. JM, my main man, how you doing, brother? What's up, buddy? How are you? Why are you, uh, why are you not in the studio? Because <laughs> you're a big baby. <laughs> All right, listen to me. I, I am... actually had a let me. I, I had a little bout with uh, with COVID right last week. I'm in. I'm you know. I'm in the clear in terms of time and all that. Feeling absolutely fine, but you know, better safe than sorry. I err on the side of caution. I always no do doubt. Uh, and listen, and a little message out there: not to be not getting political or anything. It's still out there. Yeah, so absolutely. You still have to be careful. Absolutely. Sure. All right, listen, we got a great show. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, uh, Tom Reggie. Is is this guy is a real interesting? He's been with us before. Yeah. Tom, Tom is uh, author of Reggie uh, Reggie Rules Financial Guidelines. Is the CEO and founder of Destiny Family Offices. He's both a collector and owns a wealth management company that kind of is beginning to cater, or part of it's catering to collectors. We're going to talk to Tom. Uh, just remember, everyone, please subscribe, like, and share the show with your friends. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube. You can listen to us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Uh, if you have a comment or question, you can just type it in, or else you can email me at zap. Senior Z A P S R at hotmail.com. I will certainly get back to you. We get bombarded with emails every week with recommendations. I'll tell you, you know what the funniest thing is? Not funny. I get at least two or three recommendations a month on what our next book should be. It's, really? It's, oh, it's absolutely hysterical. I mean, I get I get guys that say, you know. Uh, It'll be a collector that has a collection of like this really obscure, well, why don't you do a book on that? And I nicely try to say to him, because you're like one of like five people that have the collection. I said, a book like that's not going to sell. That's right. But anyway, uh, let's get to Tom. Like all, all Bernie Carbo cards. Exactly. Next or or, or uh, Jeffries. All right. right. Let's, let's, uh, then later on, we have uh, for our, our main guest, we have Brian Dwyer from REA Auctions coming on. Brian's been with us a zillion times. I'm on a mission for a particular item that he is auctioning off. And then later on, at, towards the end of the show, we've got our good friend Rich Miller from uh, Sports Collectors Daily. He's going to come on, kind of give us a little state of the industry. Uh, uh, we're going to have a little chat with him. But let's get to Tom. Tom, a couple of things. You know, your collection, I, we, we're going to spend about five or six minutes, but your collection, your collection is extremely rare and very cool. Signed cards. Can you tell us a little bit about it? about your collection and then uh, recently uh, you had an opportunity to 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 grab one that uh, was kind of in your sights but you passed on it uh, am I correct why don't you tell us tell us about the collection first of all sure well uh, first of all John glad you're doing well and Tom Thank thanks you, for having me on again and uh, uh, actually just got your diamond books collection book and I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into that just got it yesterday so oh, great awesome uh, regarding the collection, my, my primary collection is is signed uh, cards, and I've got a number of sets that I've put a good amount of emphasis on, so I, I don't go after every single set. Uh, I've got most rookie cards. I've got a, a number of T206s, but the uh, probably the creme de la creme of, of my uh, collection there is I have the, uh, the most cards on the registry for the 1952 top set. I am uh, I am ten cards short of completing the entire set signed. That's cr- incredible, incredible man. Oh, that's great. I and love I, it. I did a, a fellow collector of mine, um, a, a guy I've gotten to know, you know, in collecting, sold his fifty-two top set, and he and I kind of went. Uh, we were kind of neck and neck on the top set in the registry, and uh, and he decided to sell his set, and so I was able to, to pick up five cards and a direct deal with him that I needed. Uh, and, and then as far as what he auctioned, he had, he had one card that I still need, which is Jackie Robinson, which I, I did not pick up. 
and, and uh, it just got it got priced to a point that I'm not sure. I, I think I think at some point I'm going to be able to get that at a, at a better price. But I actually did still spend a significant amount of money and did nothing but upgrade the uh, the grades on the cards that I have. Uh, I mean, to the tune of about ninety cards or so. Wow! Very wow. very cool. So, Tom, it's interesting, and I think collectors listening to this are probably very intrigued by it because you've kind of picked a very – everyone kind of picks their niche, you know, with collecting, whether it's a player, a team, a year, a set. You've kind of gone to two kind of difficult areas, getting signed cards and and complete sets. Absolutely. So what drew you? Was it the challenge that drew you to that, or why this area? It, it, that's a great question. And I think it really boils down to, you know, when I got started collecting cards in the, in the mid to late seventies that, you know, it was spending all the money that I had going and buying wax packs and, and, you know, looking for that one car of an obscure player who, you know, wasn't, wasn't a big name, but that's all I cared about. I didn't care about getting the Reggie Jacksons and Mike Schmitz. I, I wanted that one card and it's that same. So you were a set guy, even, even as a youngster, you were a set. I was. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Hey, Tom, tell us about, because uh, I want to tie it in with the collecting thing. Tell us about the company um, and the wealth management uh, uh, component for investors, uh, for collectors. Yeah. So, so I mean, we, we have a, a broad wealth management firm, but, you know, about five years ago, I really decided to figure out what I wanted to do for the rest of my career. And, you know, that, that boils down to, I, I want to work with people that have some of the same problems I have and, and have some of the same ambitions that I have. So, so we built a little bit of a niche in the high net worth marketplace of, of working with people that are into collecting and, and, you know, it can be collecting memorabilia. It could be exotic cars, artwork, but uh, you know, there's, it, it, as you accumulate things like I have personally done, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of planning uh, opportunities and, and hurdles that need to be addressed. And, and uh, I, was, I was telling Brian before we got on the air that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, address, as I'm trying to advise other people what they need to address, I'm trying to make sure I'm staying on top of my own situation as right. well. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, you know, you're, you're, I think she's your vice president, Cheryl, who, by the way, is a lovely, lovely individual. I, I just enjoy talking to her. She told she she mentioned that you on on your website you've developed what she calls a scorecard for investors. How does that all work? Yeah, so I, so I have we have we have a scorecard and it, it really look it looks at ten different areas that any collector again of any anything ought to be looking at if you have a significant collection. But you know the I think the two main areas that that we look at there is you know are, are you properly valuating what you have and, and, and keeping it properly insured. And, you know, uh, also I think a big part is, is the transition of a collection. You know, do you want to, do you want to transition a collection during your lifetime or is it going to transition to death and have you put in the, the proper steps to help make that sort of thing happen? And, and there's, there's a lot to do there. Again, if you have a sizable collection. All right. So before I let you go, uh, just, in 30 seconds, I have a trust set up. Uh, uh, you know, we have a trust set up for the kids, the grandkids, and sure. all of that. And, you know, there's, there's, there's verbiage in there about my collection, my personal collection. You would, what would you do? How would you address that? Would you take it and expand it a little further? Whatever's in the trust specifically? Yeah, we, yeah I, I, would, I would read your trust document and see what that verbiage is. And, and again, make sure there's a mechanism in place to continuously value those assets because my, my personal collection is probably up a hundred percent in the past three years. Right. Right. Uh, so, so, you know, so you want to make sure to, to have the proper valuation, but you know, in my situation, my, my family has no interest in my collection. Right. So whether I get rid of it prior to me passing away or at my death, I want to make sure that the proper steps are in place so that my signed 52 mantle doesn't get sold for $2,000. Very cool. Your website right. address uh, destinyfamilyoffice.com Destiny. and then Zap let me mention on that website right there and thank you to Tom 
One of the pictures kind of floating there on the website is when he was on the show last time. Oh, he has us right cool. there front and center and a kind of a recap of the show he was on. So thanks to Tom for that. Tom, <laughs> by, by the way, uh, we're in Florida. If you're at the Villages, uh, Rico and I are going to be doing an, uh, at least one appearance today that we're aware of with Red Sox Nation. But actually, Rico may be relocating to the Villages uh, for the winter. So we'll see what happens. Keep I heard that. That would be awesome. Thanks a lot, Tom. We appreciate it. Thanks again for having me. Take care. Tom Reggie, a Destiny Family Office. I'll tell you, he's, he's, got, a, he's got a really – He's, got a, a he's really, an interesting guy. He, he really, really is. is. What he's doing with collectibles and, and he kind of putting it into his investment business, really, really interesting. Absolutely. All right, before we bring Brian, uh, I was a little remiss in uh, – actually, it'll be good because can, I can ask Brian – Oh, a headline from our good friend Rich Miller and the great staff at Sports Collectors Daily. Albert Pujols' 700th home run ball is headed to auction. Being in the right place at the right time is about to put a lot of zeros in one fan's bank account. Less than three weeks after it landed in the seats at Dodger Stadium, Albert Pujols' 700th home run ball is heading to the open market. Golden Auctions said Thursday that it had received a milestone ball in consignment and would be offering it uh, in upcoming auction. The company has one of its elite auctions of higher-end memorabilia and cards scheduled to open on October 28th. Pujols' homer in, uh, on September 23rd in Los Angeles appeared to have been caught by a fan wearing a blue Dodgers jersey. For more information and the complete story, you can go to sportscollectorsdaily.com. And that is from our good friend Rich and the staff at Sports Collectors Daily. All right, let's, let's bring in Brian. First of all, Brian, welcome. Hey, good to be here. Thanks, yeah, guys. man, we haven't seen you in hey, Brian, a while. How are you? You've been a, you've been, you've been a busy guy, you know, which is good. It's all good. Just building auctions. <laughs> hey, Brian, t- let's talk about the ball real quickly. You're, you're, I know, listen, obviously that's not going to go for any weird, anything near what the uh, judge ball is going to go for. But is this a, a six-figure ball? Yeah, I think pretty comfortably. I mean, I think Pujols is one of those guys that has a pretty deep fan base. He's been playing for a very long time. And 700 is rarefied air. So I think you're going to see a really big number. And, uh, you know, to your earlier comment judge ball much more valuable but uh this will this will turn in a big price you know it's interesting uh uh the judge ball you know sometimes you wish that the ball something like that an occurrence like that would would you know land in the hands of you know somebody that is you know a, a, a worker works his butt off you know to put food on the table for his family sitting out there and of course it winds up in the hands of someone who's pretty affluent and doing very, very well. Um, is that a $5 million ball? I, I never rule anything out when the New York Yankees have a seat at the table and, and their fan base. You know, uh, I would personally probably take the under, but not by much. I, I think it's a multi-million dollar ball. I think there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, will consider judge their, their own home run king. I mean, obviously the stats books are different, but uh uh, it's it's a ball that if it comes up for sale is going to sell for millions of dollars. Jay. Brian, let me let me. I wanted to touch base on that and and get you know both your views on this because is that pushing this in the collectibles world as well? The fact that the two people ahead of him now, McGuire and Barry Bonds, are known steroid users. Um, you know, I think the tide may be turning young versus old cheater versus not cheater, but within the confines of, of our business, are people viewing Aaron judge as the single season home run King now? Yeah. So you definitely have people who are, uh, eliminating the bonds and McGuire numbers from consideration given, given the, and fact also, that- I guess, eliminating Sammy Sosa too, who had 66. So, right. So yeah. Right. Um, uh, also ahead of judge, but you know, uh, like I said earlier, the the record books for the time being are are keeping Bonds and McGuire and Sosa ahead of judge. What I think is um, going to draw the big bids and the big price on this judge ball is yes that he's clean, yes that he's a young exciting player, but also that he plays in the biggest media market or one of the biggest media markets in the world, big and time. so got a deep fan base, you've got an affluent fan base, and you've got a fan base that uh, 
you know, can, can do a lot of different things with this ball promotionally or, or personally, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of people competing for that ball. Brian, before we get into your auction, one, one last question regarding the judge ball. Does the Roger Maris cards, does, does Roger Maris the collectibles become devalued a bit more now that uh, his record has been broken? Not in my opinion, because, I mean, you're, you're looking at 60 years that it took to, um, to break his record. So I think he has cemented himself as a guy that belongs in the conversation uh, long term. I think, um, you know, his, his prices have always been uh, more than a regular star or semi-star guy. Uh, people have always kind of held him in high regard and, and esteem within the collectibles field. So I think that will continue. And uh, again, you know, in a time where steroid users weren't prevalent, he did it. He did it clean. He did it honestly, and he did it in a big media market. And he did it. He did it in fewer games. He did. And yeah. he, and, and let's face it, he passed Babe Ruth. He did. Okay. Yeah. Aaron Judge passed Roger Maris. Great player. But not, it's not like passing Babe Ruth. Good point. Right? Yeah. Good point. We are chatting with Brian Dwyer from REA Auctions. Brian, let's get into your auction. Uh, you got a great card there. Unbelievable that, auction. That, that yeah. Hank Aaron signed rookie card is pristine. Tell us about that card. And, uh, man, I have my eyes on that, but Ellen's going to shoot me. She really is. <laughs> but let's, let's talk about that card. That's going to cut into your cigar money, man. <laughs> no, big time. Big time. You know something? It's, this guy is Mr. Mr. Dwyer here. He's he's like, he's getting me into more arguments with my wife because I've been, I've been you know, uh, what, what did I, uh, the Grover Cleveland. That was you, right? The Grover, yeah. the Grover Cleveland uh, contract that, that I bought. That was because of Brian. You know, I, I went in there. I says, Ellen, please let me bid on it. She says, okay, okay. Of course, I won it, which was I was quite happy about. But let's <laughs> let's talk about the Aaron card. Yeah, a phenomenal card. I mean, uh, great condition, great signature. Aaron, always popular. Um, and you know, Tom, who who we chatted with earlier, will tell you there's been a real uptick in signed rookie card collecting. There's been a big um, change in the feelings about signatures on cards. You know, it used to be taboo in in uh, a lot of people's minds. But now there's a whole new wave of collectors that have come into that field. And, uh, you know, Tom, I've known you for a couple of years. A card like that probably wouldn't have been on your radar uh, when we first met. Absolutely not. That, that kind of speaks to the maturation of that, of that collecting segment and, uh, and the interest in it. And so, you know, this, this auction ends this weekend. Um, Five-figure piece, in my opinion. A lot of different people in the bidding already. And uh, if I can ship it to you, you know, I'd be happy to. I'm sure you would. I did buy, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you what piqued my interest. Our good friend, uh, through Joe Tomasulo, I was able to buy on a private sale. And it really is a cool card. I bought a 1953 Topps Mickey Mantle, uh, PSA uh, uh, 8, I'm sorry, 9, and it was signed in 1953 or 54 by Mantle. That card really intrigued me. I grabbed it, and now I'm kind of I'm kind of liking what I'm when I'm looking at with these signed cards. And I never listen, gave them thought two years ago. Listen, you keep talking, Zap, and REA is going to stand for Raise Ellen's Alimony. Okay, <laughs> so you need to stop, man, because I can see it. You, you, She's you're killing me. He's, He's going to be bidding, man. It's going to happen. <laughs> uh, you get some great. You get. You get. Obviously, I'm a T206 guy. You get some great T206 cobs. Uh, you've got a lot of T206s. Tell us about those. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, C206 has been coming out of the woodwork lately, but again, it really just kind of speaks to how deep the collector pool is for those cards. So we have over 900 T206s in this, in this auction, um, and they run the gamut. You know, we've got, uh, we've got rarebacks, we've got commons, we've got um, probably over 500 different, which is pretty significant. We've got some great cobs in, in nice mid-grade. Um, so something for everyone and really just... You know, we've made a name for ourselves in the T206 world with Wagner on down. So uh, plenty to choose from. Go ahead. We, Go ahead. we were with you, Brian, at the National. Uh, we did a little interview with you. We want to thank you for that. And you had such a marvelous, REA had such a great setup there. And there was so many people there. And you were drawing people in pretty consistently over the course of the, uh, the week there. So how was it for you? And moreover, talking about now, do you feed off? You know the, the the residue fumes, if you will, from the national even into the fall uh, with this auction because you generated so much interest. With you really did. There. Good point, John. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the national is is our Super 
people. We, we love it. I love it personally, just as a collector and someone who's interested in this field. Uh, I get to see people see things that I don't get to see all that frequently. This particular show, AC, I thought had a great crowd. I thought it had, had a great vibe. And, uh, you know, as far as feeding off fumes, yes. So, I mean, we see residual benefit from the national weeks, months, years down the road. Um, we as a company had never set up at the national until 2016. And just interestingly, there's a consignment in the upcoming fall auction from someone that we met at the 2016 national. Wow. So, you know, when it's going wow. to dividends, because not everyone's a seller when they walk in the door. You know, a lot of people are there as active collectors, but they meet us, they see what we do, they hear our story. And then when the time comes to divest their collection, you know, they, they remember the, the, the interaction that they had with us at the show. There's nothing so, like that face-to-face meeting, right? I mean, even, even with all the technology now, it's nothing like that. Absolutely. We, we love, uh, we love, you know, just meeting people, putting faces with names and, and just sharing our mutual love of the collecting. And I always tell my guys, as we lead up to the show, if you don't take in a single consignment at the show, that's, that's not a problem. You know, that's not our main uh, goal for the national. It's really to see and be seen and, and meet people with whom we've been dealing with for decades in some cases. Brian, before we take a break, quick, uh, question on a card that is not in an auction that you you have right now, but I, it's another card that's intrigued me. I wanted to get your opinion. A Wagner E90-2. Is that a good investment? I love that card. I mean, so we actually do have a really um, attractive but low-grade card in the auction that's going on right now. Oh, you do? But- <laughs> I did not. <laughs> Ellen, Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> I have got it right find it. So, <laughs> oh, God. yeah, I love that. I mean, that's a card that I actually own in my own personal collection. And that's a card that, uh, you know, it's like a poor man's T206 Wagner. So in a, low, in a low grade, it's still a pretty decent investment? I think it's got a lot of upside potential. I mean, you can get into a low grade card for a couple thousand dollars. It's going to have the same pose as a T206 Wagner, which we know now is a multi-million dollar buy-in. So, yeah, I think there's some upside to that card. Good. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We come back. we got all kinds of stuff to talk about. This auction is a cool auction. I, last night I was perusing it. Uh, Me too. And it was just, just got a lot of stuff on there. So we're chatting with Brian. Uh, hang in there. We'll be right back. Since 1996, Brian Drent and the staff at Denver's Mile High Card Company have led the charge in the collectibles hobby. Mile High is a full-service dealer specializing in buying and selling cards and offers a competitive consignment program for all collectors. Whether it be their computerized want list service, appraisals, or auction services, Mile High has it all. If you've been searching for a company with a selection of high-grade vintage 1888 to 1970 baseball cards and memorabilia that shares your passion, aim high, Mile High. Go to milehighcardco.com or call 303-840-2784 for more information. This is Brian Drent, president of Mile High Card Company. Is your sports card and memorabilia collection properly insured? For easily replaced personal property, homeowner's insurance is all most people need. But for prized possessions that you may have spent a lifetime collecting, it doesn't go nearly far enough. Collectibles Insurance Services has been insuring for over 50 years. They offer a full range of protection and a $0 deductible at an affordable rate with no appraisals required. I know because they insure my collection. If you have a minute, go to collectinsure.com and learn more about insuring your personal card or memorabilia collection. Hi, this is Dan from Memory Lane Auctions here to remind you that the renowned Memory Lane Collectibles Company has served as a beacon of light to the collecting community for the past several decades. Indeed, folks, it has been our utmost privilege and pleasure to provide the most enthusiastic collectors with an abundance of the finest sports cards and memorabilia for America's most coveted sports personalities via our world-class auctions. Whether you choose either a private sale transaction or the auction route, Memory Lane cordially invites you to reach out to us to maximize the value of your prized possessions. Also, it is not just sales that we pride ourselves on being the best of the rest, Because if you are seeking a particular keepsake for your esteemed gathering, we will be relentless in our quest to find that special piece to fulfill your collecting dreams. So no time to wait. Reach out to us today for the purposes of capitalizing on our unparalleled marketing capabilities. 
Simply pick up the phone and dial 877-606-5263. That's 877-606-LANE or find us on the World Wide Web at www.memorylaneinc.com. Now is the time for your valued consignment to ultimately become another one of Memory Lane's record-setting prices. How would you like to own the bat that was used by your favorite player when he hit that towering home run or game-winning base hit? Now look no further than JT Sports, specializing in the sale and authentication of professional game-used bats. As the official authenticators of professional model game-used bats for PSA DNA, JT Sports will guarantee the authenticity of any bat purchased from them. JT Sports also buys and sells game-worn uniforms, gloves, and baseball equipment. The unique quality of the collectible is what JT Sports is all about. Give them a call at 609-487-8003 or check them out at GameUseBats.com. Okay, we are back and chatting with Brian Dwyer from REA Auctions. Hey, Brian, old judge cards. I see you have quite a few old judge, old judge cards in the auction. You know, that kind of, that's always been an interesting uh, dynamic with th- those sets. It, it seems as though they're starting to really pick up ahead of steam. Uh, let's talk about those. I mean, you have quite a few. Uh, which, what are your thoughts on that particular collection? So I, I love the old judge set. I mean, it's one of the areas of um, pre-war baseball cards that I started to dive into when I started collecting. I started dabbling in old judges and Allen and Ginters and, and Mayo cards um, from the 19th century, which, um, you know, there weren't many sets produced during that era, but the ones that were are all pretty fascinating. The thing about old judges that I like is that there's so many different ways to collect them, kind of like T206s. Yeah. And I think that's what you're seeing people do now. You know, a set is unattainable. Um, it's not even just a matter of money. It's, it's just there's some cars that only one or two copies are known. Um, but you're seeing people dive into Hall of Famers and you're seeing people collect by team or just collect great images, uh, horizontal poses. So, you know, I think that's what you're seeing. And I think that will continue because it's such a cool set and it's going on 150 years old. Ryan, I think we've seen uh, over the last year, maybe even two years, an uptick in uh, popularity and maybe even more much-deserved respect for some Af- African-American ballplayers and al- also Latin ballplayers, headed by Roberto Clemente. We talked about the Aaron card that um, Zap's going to get divorced over and all that. But in this auction, you have Jackie Robinson, Ernie Banks, Roberto Clemente. Can you just talk about uh, those items for us a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, uh, to to your point, a lot of those cards lagged um, undeservedly so for a number of years. And Jackie really was the first one to gain steam. And I think that, uh, you know, he's kind of uh, dragged along these these other these other underappreciated, undervalued cards with them. Um, You know, the Leaf Jackie Robinson's a perfect example of a card that has really exploded over the last couple of years. And I think it's a card that's uh, uh, severely overdue for that type of price correction. You know, it's, it's a great card. He's a significant player, uh, mon- monumental set. Um, and then you look at a guy like Clemente. I mean, again, just tremendous player, great story, great person, um, top-tier Hall of Famer. His cards have started to come up in the world. Um, and then you just go down the line. You know, Banks, Frank Robinson, um, even with getting into the Hall of Fame, Minnie Minoso. You know, his, his cards, he had a great career, but yeah. his cards were never selling at huge and you have a, um you have a, a 48 uh, Leaf Satchel Page, right? That's his rookie card for Major League Baseball, correct? Exactly, yeah. So Satchel Page, I mean, that's a card that's very scarce. That's a card that we have um, actually in a three and an authentic in this auction. And I think has lots of upside potential. Um, so yeah, there's plenty of opportunities to collect things like that. And then if you go into the Latin ball players, there's some great Cuban sets. There's some great Venezuelan sets. Um, you know, we had an Oscar Charleston rookie card that went for $132,000 against a starting bid of 2,500 a couple auctions ago. Wow. So they're really, really coming up in the world. And that's, that's good to see. Brian, as the years have gone by, you know, JM, you're bringing up a, a, a hell of a, Good point with the uh, uh, African-American players. But let's take it a step further. You know, 
as the years have gone by, I mean, again, 30 years ago, it was the all the pre-war cards, uh, 33 Gaudis, 41 played ball, those cards. What about the players now? And then we went into the into the into the top set, the '50s tops, uh, early '60s. What about cards like uh, I, again? We refer to them as the tweeners, in betweeners, the Al Kalines of the world, the Rod Carews of the world, the George Bretts of the world. Are those cards? I mean, those cards really never got a real a lot of love. And I'm just talking not just those cards, but those cards in those sets. Are those cards, as time goes on, going to pick up ahead of steam also? Especially the Hall of Famers. The guys like Brett, uh, old Tony Oliva, uh, you know, uh, not Oliva, uh, uh, I don't know, pick somebody, Robin Yount. Are those right. cards going to pick up ahead of steam? Mike so Schmidt, that whole era there, right, right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know that we'll necessarily be sitting here uh, in a couple years talking about how those are up 510X. But I do think that they do represent good values. I think that what drove a lot of the interest in those, we'll call them second and third tier Hall of Famers just for this illustration. I mean, even though they've got great careers, they're not the Roots or the Garrigs or the Aarons the or the Clementes. But, you know, what drove a lot of the interest in those cards was set building and set collecting. And, and what we've seen over the last couple of years has been a little bit of a pullback from set collecting. And, and so I think that that has to flush itself out a little bit more to see how many guys are, are in there competing for the Tony Olivas and the George Bretts and the Robin Younts. But ultimately, every Hall of Famer has a pretty solid fan base uh, of player collectors. So, you know, th- those cards are not, in my opinion, going to go down significantly. And I think they could only really go up. Hey, Brian, not to put you on the spot, but I always like to ask the people who are you know, setting up and creating and formulating these auctions. We've talked about a lot of the items there. Is there an item, whether it's an overlooked item or a high price or possibly high priced item that's kind of a wow or unique or cool item for you that you're looking at and say, hey, you know, th- this is a unique thing. This is kind of a neat item we have in this auction. So this auction that's going on currently is our monthly encore auction. And so it's uh, heavily skewed towards cards. Um, So the things that caught my eye, and this is an auction that has over 4,200 lots in it, but we have a group of eight or 10 1974 tops puzzle proof cards. And, and, you know, a lot of people aren't familiar with the 74 tops puzzle issue, um, let alone the concept of, of these proof cards. But that was something that when I saw them come in, it, it caught my eye because they don't, they don't come across your desk every day and they've got great player selection. You've got Seaver, you've got Palmer, you've got uh, George Foster, Barry, uh, Bobby Bonds. So what, um, what do those look like, Brian, for people who don't know? Are they little mini puzzles like the size of a card? Or? So they're actually larger. They're probably five by seven in size. Okay. Uh, the final issues were limited release, uh, cut into maybe 20 different pieces. Um, and the proof ones that we have are, are unpunched, if you will. So they're, they're uh, more akin to a turkey red where they're, they're um, you know, like a cabinet card size almost. And, and they're cool because they're those little, um, esoteric test issues that the player collectors love and don't get to see all that o- often. And so that's something that in this auction catch, catches my eye. Um, you know, in our fall auction that's coming up, there's just some tremendous stuff that, you, you know, is, is truly unique. But in the context of the current auction, those tops puzzles, those, those stand out to me. Neat. Brian, what about non-sports? I mean, I, I noticed you have quite a few non-sports uh, items in the auction. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that, that's an area that we've always um, well represented, in my opinion. And there's just so many different sets. You know, there's uh, uh, in this auction, we have JFK sets. We have, uh, um, you know, jockeys from the 1910s. We have G-Men from the 1930s. I mean, there's just so many different subjects. And so, uh, again, the fact that this is a is a, um, a monthly auction gives us the opportunity to to showcase some of those sets where we maybe would put them in larger groups or or not even be able to offer them at all in the context of the catalog auction. But we can sell these hundred two hundred dollar sets that have a pretty good collector base and uh, and they're just really fun to look at and read the backs of the the, the cards and see the stories that they're telling or the stories that they're creating. So. 
Uh, I'm a big fan of non-sports. Brian, I, I always like to see how the business imitates life, uh, if you will. Not to get too deep for Zap. I know he's looking up the word imitate. Come on, man. That's over about. my head. What are you uh, doing? <laughs> but this past year, you know, we talked about how Aaron Judge playing for the Yankees kind of elevates a record that would be great if anyone got it. But you're a Yankee. I get it. Um, this year, you know, the Yankees were excellent. As where as this goes live, they may be out, but it doesn't matter. The Yankees had a great year. The Dodgers had a great year. The Cardinals had a great year. The Red Sox did not have a great year. But when those teams are good, those classic teams with so many Hall of Famers from the past, when they're good, does it spur interest in the hobby, whether it's current cards or um, vintage cards? I think it does. And I can tell you as someone that lives in the New York metro area and someone that has, um, you know, tons of friends that follow the Mets and Yankees, both of whom are obviously playoff teams this year's. Right. Uh, I, I had had more text messages or phone calls from people saying, how do I get a Pete Alonso sign ball? Or how do I get an Aaron judge sign ball? And sometimes that's a gateway into, Oh, well now that I've got judge, wouldn't it be cool to have mantle or wouldn't it be cool to have DiMaggio or how much to get a a Roger Maris ball? Or maybe if I'm doing a little bit better, how much to get a Ruth ball? So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to uh, end up a collector, but I think you've got to start somewhere. And so, yes, when these teams are good, you're going to get people that start to dabble. And if they catch the bug, that's just going to build our hobby, um, you know, bigger. Uh, Jay, and by the way, if you notice, uh, I have all of my Red Sox uh, paraphernalia has gone into mothballs for the for the uh, for the year. <laughs> I know, right? Where's the but, hat? But Where's you do nothing? notice, you do notice that I have my Celtics uh, paraphernalia on now. I see that. Uh, I have my Patriots hat for our new quarterback, well, and, Zappy Zappy, and so, and, yeah. and the fact that the and the fact that the uh, Celtics have a, have a good shot at. Uh, Real good shot. Seeing where they go. So. And they're doing special tributes to Bill Russell this year. I know, the, I saw the, that. The uniforms they're going to debut have the number six on there and the Very number cool. six is on the court. Yeah, good stuff. Very cool. Hey, Brian, um, let's talk about, and we've, we've touched upon this many times, but a lot of viewers really enjoy when we talk about it. Let's talk about the modern in- investor slash collector. We've talked about it in the past. Um, you know, and we talk about the speculation. We've used Tatis a zillion times uh, as uh, as an example, or uh, you know, in football, you know, pick somebody, uh, Mac Jones, uh, you know, a guy that's gotten hurt. So I'm sure his card is devalued a little bit. My question, though, is a lot of these young investors slash collectors um, do it for the investment part of it. We all know that. They'll flip a card, make a few bucks, and that's the end of it. But are you noticing at all any of these young collectors that are starting to dip their toe in the water when it comes to vintage? Are they getting more interested in vintage cards, pre-war cards, uh, post-war, you know, 50s, 60s? 100%. 100%. And, and so, you know, I've always had a pretty unique um, perspective on this over the years as I've joined you because I'm, I'm in my 30s. So right. I'm a collector. Um, I got my start collecting uh, modern at the time. Um, and, and then I dug a little deeper and learned a little bit more and, and branched out. And so, yes, um, to my earlier point, there's a lot of different ways that you can follow the path. But yeah, I am seeing people who have... Uh, uh, parlayed maybe some of their successes in the modern speculation. Obviously, basketball was very hot in yeah. 2020 and 2021. And now they're saying, look, I, I turned uh, you know $5,000 worth of Zion and Luca prospecting into $25,000 worth of stuff. I don't want to prospect anymore. I don't want to day trade sports cards. Where can I put it that will be a good long-term uh, landing spot for me. And so, yeah, you know, the, uh, the answer oftentimes is that the tried and true blue chips. And so we are seeing that, that kind of pivot from some of these collectors. I think that is, that is so cool. And I think, you know, uh, Tom, I know Tom is watching, but that kind of, that kind Mm -hmm. of makes me, it gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling inside because they're looking at these vintage cards as blue chip stocks, like like when I was, you know, when we were younger, buying ATT or IBM or one of those stocks, and then you do a little speculating with the modern stuff. I think it's it really gives you a well rounded portfolio. Yeah, it, yeah, right? it absolutely does, and I think it it really it also brings in the sports fan part of collecting 
Zap, you know, and I know even, you know, kind of reflective of Brian, I have a, quite a few years on Brian, but when I started collecting, it was right when Tom had mentioned it earlier in the show, mid-70s, that was my wheelhouse, the Mike Schmitz, the George Bretts, right. Rod Carew, still still Yaz in there, of course, Rico Petroselli. Um, and, but then in doing that, I learned about the Willie Mazes and the Mickey Mantles and the Babe Ruths and the Lou Gehrig's and the Cy Young. So you hope that that happens. You really do. We haven't talked a lot about uh, football, Brian, but I did notice in, in looking at your current auction, you have a 1981 uh, Topps football. Is it an unopened box? And I think that yeah. includes the Joe Montana. Is it, is, is it Montana's rookie card that's in there? Yeah, so potentially. I mean, it's Penguins' uh, right. tennis rookie right. year. We Correct. always caveat with the unopened that we can't make any guarantees. Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, that is his year. And unopened, I mean, that's, that's another area where we could, we could do hours on how that feels than that part. Let's talk yeah, about that. Talk about yeah. that because yeah. that's, that, I find it very intriguing. And quite frankly, I don't know a hell of a lot about it. I mean, I, I've tried studying it. But there's a, there's a, whole, there's a whole cult almost that is into that let's touch upon that yeah so it, it's uh, you know not unlike many segments of our hobby people get very passionate about what they what they collect and what they specialize in the unopened field is one that i've actually been part of as a collector a personal collection uh for the last two two and a half years and as i've learned more about it i can kind of see why people get so passionate about it you know this is something that with the rise of breaking and breakers and and the speculating on you know what am i going to pull out of this pack uh, the supply is is dwindling daily oh. so you have people who are going out and buying these boxes and packs solely to open them. Well, you have this other part of the hobby who is buying these packs and boxes only to leave them sealed. And, and they, you know, part of them, they, they hate to see these packs open because it's, you know, ruining history in their minds. But the other part of them is saying the stuff that I've got in my collection is worth more because there's now less of it. And so that's been a very interesting balance to watch unfold as breaking gets more prominent um, you know, the unopened prices are going up as there's more competition. There's people in the market with different um, uh, perspectives and goals. So it's, it's been really interesting to watch. And uh, like I said, it's something that I've kind of been playing with myself and, and I like it. We got about three minutes left, Brian. Uh, just a couple of other really, uh, really mm -hmm. just quick. Uh, did, did, did I see you had some Black Sox tickets from 1918? Uh, so we had in the last auction a handful of 1919 World Series tickets. I got killed then, on that one too, by the way. But that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> you can't win them all. I mean, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell Ellen that you don't win everything. So I got wiped um, out on that one. We have we have some uh, Black Sox tickets and autographs uh, coming up in the next auction. So we actually are going to have a really cool Black Sox 1919 section with some. Uh, we have a press pin from the series. We have some photographs from the series. We have some tickets. We have some cut signatures of key players. Um, we have a handwritten note from Mrs. Joe Jackson talking about cool. uh, Joe coaching in the 1930s. Um, so some really cool stuff. But yeah, the tickets the tickets should get strong interest again. Yeah, that was, uh, those, are, those are really, really cool. Uh, your website address and when does the auction end? So this October Encore auction ends on Sunday. And uh, you can find that at robertedwardauctions.com. And then we're short turnaround, November 3rd, we're launching a pre-war set break auction. That'll run for 10 days, T204, 5, 6, 7, bunch of caramel sets, mayo, turkey red. And then the 17th of November, we launched the big catalog auction. One last question. You got some E101s in this auction too, correct? We do, yeah, near yeah. set. Very cool, very cool. All right, Brian, as always, man, we love having you on. Uh, you, you, you shed so much light on the hobby uh, in general. Yeah. Uh, we always get comments from our viewers and listeners. Uh, just, you know, you, you kind of educate all of us. So we appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Oh, it's good to be here. Yeah, all right, Brian. To see you both. Brian, I'm, gonna get that, I'm getting that bid in tonight again. I'm getting it in. <laughs> Have a good Keep one. Keep hitting it. All right, we're going to take care. a quick break. We come back. Uh, we're going to chat with Rich Miller from Sports Collectors Daily. That's my newspaper, man. I love it. Love it. Online. Awesome. Hang in there. We'll be right back. Pristine Auction is a family-owned and operated online auction specializing in autographed memorabilia, sports cards, coins, art, and collectibles. 
Since their founding in 2010, they've grown to two facilities in Phoenix, Arizona, totaling over 60,000 square feet. Jared Cavalier and an incredible staff of over 150 team members serve a very large customer base and enjoy every minute of it. By working with leading authentication companies, Pristine ensures all items are 100% authentic. In addition, third-party authenticators regularly travel to Pristine Auction to provide authentication services on-site. Pristine Auction strives to operate its business in a way that's honoring to God, their families, and their customers. With a strong focus on speed, quality, and premier customer service, their mission is to be the leading online auction for every level of collector and fan. Pristine also works for Hope Sports and Identity Hoops International, traveling to Mexico to build houses for the less fortunate. Pristine Auction offers several online auction formats with thousands of auctions ending each day. For more information, go to pristineauction.com. That's Pristine Auction, the best in the business. If you are a discerning collector interested in owning the most important pieces in the hobby, look no further than Leland's Auctions. The original sports auction and appraisal house, Leland's was established in 1985 by legendary pioneer founder Joshua Leland Evans. And today, President Mike Hefner carries on the tradition. From the Tom Brady card and memorabilia collection, to the famed Boston Garden auction, to high-end card auctions from every major sport, Leland's has always maintained the highest standards. Go to Leland's.com and get your bid in. That's Leland's the hobby's leading sports auction house for four decades. It's often been said that championships are won on the practice field and world records come only to those willing to work harder than everybody else. Heritage Auctions is the world's largest collectibles auctioneer because we believe that becoming the best is only an invitation to the challenge of remaining the best. This requires the skills of the hobby's top experts capable of identifying and maximizing value for our consigners. It requires the most visited website in the industry, courting a global audience of collectors over a million and a half strong. It requires a dedicated press department that expands our global reach far beyond the entrenched hobby marketplace. It's hard work, but a simple premise. Present the finest collectibles to the largest population of potential buyers, and world records will come. We invite all listeners to put the unmatched power of Heritage Auctions to work for you. Auction evaluations are always free, and our commission-based fee structure ensures that our interests are always aligned, the highest possible price for your collectibles. There will always be new world records to chase, so let's chase them together. Visit our website at ha.com and request your no-obligation review today. Hi, this is Dan from Memory Lane Auctions here to remind you that the renowned Memory Lane Collectibles Company has served as a beacon of light to the collecting community for the past several decades. Indeed, folks, it has been our utmost privilege and pleasure to provide the most enthusiastic collectors with an abundance of the finest sports cards and memorabilia for America's most coveted sports personalities via our world-class auctions. Whether you choose either a private sale transaction or the auction route, Memory Lane cordially invites you to reach out to us to maximize the value of your prized possessions. Also, it is not just sales that we pride ourselves on being the best of the rest, because if you are seeking a particular keepsake for your esteemed gathering, we will be relentless in our quest to find that special piece to fulfill your collecting dreams. So no time to wait. Reach out to us today for the purposes of capitalizing on our unparalleled marketing capabilities. Simply pick up the phone and dial 877-606-5263. That's 877-606-LANE or find us on the World Wide Web at www.memorylaneinc.com. Now is the time for your valued consignment to ultimately become Another one of Memory Lane's record-setting prices. They are prized possessions, and you need a place to store them that is safe and secure. The eBay Vault is exactly that. An insured, climate-controlled facility with state-of-the-art security that guards your valuable collection around the clock. Your vault account is protected by two-step verification and easily accessible through eBay Collection. And everything stored in the eBay Vault is backed by Authenticity Guarantee. 
Buying and selling is a seamless experience. When you buy an eligible card on eBay, it can be sent directly to the eBay vault at checkout. Or if it's already in the eBay vault, you can just keep it there. And selling from the eBay vault is just as easy. Every card in the vault has been expertly inspected, detailed, and photographed, so you can quickly sell it with a pre-populated listing. And if your buyer chooses to withdraw their card from the eBay vault, we handle packing, shipping, and insurance. And same goes for you. If you want that rare rookie card in your hands, you can have it shipped to you at any time. Collect like a pro with the eBay vault. It's climate controlled. It's insured. It's protected with 24-hour security. Soon, you'll be able to send cards already in your collection directly to the eBay vault. They will take high quality photos of the front and back of the card and document all the details for your viewing pleasure and to make the listing to sell process seamless. For more information, go to ebay.com. That's eBay, connecting buyers and sellers. Right now, right now you're in the JM vault. I am in an undisclosed location right now outside <laughs> all right, Boston. All right, well, let's bring in our good friend, Rich Miller from Sports Collectors Daily. Rich, first of all, how you doing? Good. It's been a while, Tom. Good to see you. Good. JM, hey, Rich. JM is in uh, quarantine. He uh, just recovering, <laughs> just recovering from COVID. So I, I just, I nicely asked him to stay within ten miles of the studio. So and it's working. <laughs> that ought to do it. Yeah, hopefully it, 10 I will, I'll be bre- I'll be breathing all over you soon. <laughs> uh, hey, Rich. Uh, first of all, Rich, you know we've got uh, we stick with us right to the end of the show. We have a lot to talk about. You know, I I am a, a disciple of Sports Collectors Daily. I'm on it every day. Love the articles. Quite frankly, I don't know how you do it uh, all. Uh, you know, you just uh, you keep everybody up to date. Can you give us a little background on Sports Collectors Daily in general? Well, yeah, practice makes perfect, I guess, to that. <laughs> been a long time. Uh, 16 years as of, as of July, um, so it's been a long time now. It's, uh, it's gone by really fast, but also um, uh, it was kind of an extension of my prior career as a, as a journalist, and so it's been kind of a natural transition. But, yeah, I launched it back in 2006 because uh, I just felt, even at that time, that you know the hobby was kind of big enough to have its own daily newspaper. It wasn't much when we started, I'll guarantee you that. It was, uh, it was a lot of very short short little stories and links to other things, but eventually it grew. Um, and, and, you know, it, I saw the kind of the, the transition that was happening from print to, to online. And yep. I think probably in general kind of lagged behind back then, but I could kind of see it coming. So that was another factor in it. Um, and, and it was just, I, I just enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed when I was a sportscaster and I, as a collector on the rare occasion when I got to do a story about collecting, I had so much fun with it. I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could, you know, if I could do this all the time and luckily it worked out, it took a little while to get off the ground with, you know, advertising and, and having it make some money because that's, you know, at, at the end of the day, that's what you need to do. And, and luckily we did uh, uh, get that accomplished and I've been able to, have, you know, been lucky enough to, uh, to add some, some people that write for me now that, that do a really good job and are just great people. And, and so that's been, been a big boost too. And of course, everything that's happened in the hobby over the last uh, couple of years here is uh, made for no shortage of stuff to write about some long days for sure. You know, so Ellen, Rich, as someone, as someone, sorry, as someone who's worked in all media at all levels with newspaper, electronic, what have you kind of picking up on what Zap said at, at, at the start here, the, the news gathering system that you have, the volume of information. It's amazing. Can you just talk about a little bit yeah. the, the sources you have, the you know the insight, how you get your information, and then present it. Because well, be- there's a lot out there. Before you answer that, Rich, I want yeah. to add on to what JM is saying. You know, Ellen uh, is a student of collecting. She's been doing it a long time, and Ellen is the was the past president of doing the New England Press Association, and was a publisher of ten newspapers. She has been on your site, and she has made. She has said to me. He's got it. I mean, he understands how it's done. And still to this day, newspapers are collapsing all over the place because they don't know how to do it. So, I mean, you, you really put together a nice package. And, uh, you know, how, how did you do it all? 
Yeah, it, it, it was such a niche. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not writing about uh, other types of collectibles. And, you know, even we, I haven't dabbled at all much in the digital collectible thing that's kind of, you know, that's become sort of a thing, I guess, in the last year or two. But yeah. we've stayed uh, true to the mission, which is, you know, physical sports cards, memorabilia, what have you, and and all of the things that are associated with that from a business and industry standpoint, you know, from a how how it gets done is just you know kind of drawing on the experience of knowing where to look, um, being connected with um, you know social media is important, but also I get you know people emailing me tips, ideas, stories, press releases, everything else. So um, it's just having the ability to to kind of break through all the clutter and find things that I think that people are most interested in reading about and, and making sure we cover all the bases. Cause it's not specifically vintage cards. It's not specifically modern cards. It's not game worn jerseys. We do, I do it all, you know, because I think it's a hobby that does have a lot of cross uh, pollination, I guess, you know, you have guys that collect cards, but maybe they also collect autographs. So there's guys that collect uh, game worn jerseys that want to know what's going on in that space. So, um, and at the same time, they probably started in cards, you know, so, and there's from a business standpoint, especially in the last couple of years, you know, I felt like I'm doing the wall street journal here because of all the investments and things that are being made, you know, it's not people necessarily just buying into cards, uh, spending millions of dollars on a Hannes Wagner or Mickey Mantle. They're, you know, they're investing in companies. Um, we've seen an amazing amount of money put in by professional athletes and investment groups, hedge funds and all this kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, that, that's been a little bit of a new thing. It used to be, we'd write a couple of those stories a year and now I'm writing one about every two weeks, you know, but so you have to, you have to follow not only collectibles news, but financial news yeah, and sports yeah. news. You have to follow yeah. sports. Oh, I know absolutely. You're, you're a sports yeah. guy anyway, but you have to follow sports news too. Yeah. And I think as a whole, I think that the sports leagues and, you know, kind of to a certain extent, also popular culture has embraced sports collectibles now since COVID and then the big explosion that we all know about it, all the people coming in, some of whom have left now, but, but a lot of them are hanging around or rediscovered or at least uh, the information is, has been circulated around about how much some of this stuff is worth and, you know, how much, uh, you know, it's changed over the years um, from all the many, many stories that have, that have taken place. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to see the respect that, you know, a lot of times, even 15 years ago when I started this, you know, it was kind of like some people didn't regard it as in the same realm as art or coins or things like that. And now I think it's sort of surpassed that, which is really natural because there's millions and millions of sports fans. Uh, so why wouldn't they, a lot of them on some level have an interest in some of this stuff, even if all they did is collect as kids, you know, they still have an interest in it. And the fact that um, a lot of the players are embracing this. There are a lot more players who are collectors now than there ever have been before. And um, so all, all that kind of goes together and, and is, has put this hobby sort of in a bigger profile, especially when you have athletes who invest or, or big time companies, big time, uh, you know, financial institutions that are taking interest in it. We are chatting with Rich Miller. We've got about four minutes left. John, why don't you tell our audience about our good friend, Joe Drellick and the CSA show. Will do, buddy. CSA Shows is proud to present the Chantilly Show being held on October 21st to the 23rd this weekend. Held at the Dulles Expo Center in Chantilly, Virginia, just minutes from the Dulles International Airport. Celebrating over 25 years at the same location, there will be over 300 dealer tables exhibiting on over 100,000 square feet of space. With both vintage sports cards and memorabilia, as well as modern-day sports treasures, you won't have to look very far for that special card, bat, ball, or autograph. Major auction houses and third-party grading companies will be on-site to assist you with your collecting and authentication needs. Some of your favorite superstars will be on hand, including football greats Joe Montana, the bus Jerome Bettis, former NBA superstar Hakeem Olajuwon, baseball Hall of Famer Cal Ripken, boxing legend Iron Mike Tyson, and many, many more. For more information, go to www dot csashows.com that's the chantilly show where you can find all of your sports collectible treasures um, rich before we let you go you know one thing that i really uh enjoy is you you sometimes write out of the box you're not afraid to tackle you know, like case in point i mean you've you've written uh, many articles or reported many many articles 
about some of the theft that has occurred over mm-hmm. the country. Uh, you know, you're not afraid to tackle that stuff. You tell it like it is. If something's gone wrong, you 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 address it. And I think that's really good for the for the collecting world to stay abreast of that stuff. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that's gone along with the uh, growth in the industry is that the word has gotten out that some of this stuff is pretty valuable. Um, and a lot of times in these burglaries at card shops and different places around the country, GTS distribution just got hit yep. long ago. It's, it's uh, you know, the, the word is out that some of this stuff is valuable. And obviously that attracts some unsavory characters who are looking for things that they can steal. And so that's, that's been a big part of this. It goes along with it. Um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's always been a little bit of it, but I've, I've never seen more card shop burglaries in particular over the last year and a half than, than we've seen, uh, you know, I think in the five, seven years before that, I usually find out about most of them, not all of them, uh, one way or the other. Um, but it's, yeah. It, and, and, you know, it's the site is not uh, designed to be necessarily a crime log. but No, but it's you're covering everything. You're covering yeah, the, the hobby. Yeah. Would, yeah. That's a good Part thing. Part of the news. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, That stuff is important for, for, you know, even if your shop or, you know, you're a patron of a shop that hasn't been hit. Um, the knowledge of it that that it's out there is important. It's important to let people know that, you know, if your shop isn't secured, if you don't have proper security, that's state of the heart, um, you know, and a lot of these guys are small businesses that it's hard to make that investment. But, you know, if you've put all this time and energy and effort into putting money into put in a, into creating a really good shop or business, um, you got to protect it because there's just so many people out there um, who now know that this the material is valuable and they'll, and so much of it is so easy to flip, you know, they'll, they'll go in and steal a bunch of boxes. That's really hard to track. Absolutely. Um, they know that. So unfortunately that's, you know, luckily I think in the last few months, it's kind of died down a little bit. We haven't seen quite as much of that. Um, and maybe that's because the shops are taking a little, few more steps as the word's gotten out that so many of these stores are getting hit. Sports collect is daily. Go online. It's, it's, a, it's just a wealth of knowledge covers everything uh, as far as the hobby goes. Hey, Rich, thanks so much for taking the time to, to be with us. We love having you on. You don't come on that often. We get to get you on more often because you, really you really do educate the public with what you guys are doing. You've done a great job. Well, I appreciate it, Tom and John. Thank you very much for having me on. And, thanks, Rich. Great work. Great and, work, man. And again, special thanks to Tom Rudgey. Uh, great, guy, great guy. Great job. And special thanks to Brian Dwyer from REA Auctions. JM, I hope I see you in a couple of weeks. Like I hope so, normal, buddy. I'm ready. Normal. I'm ready. No, Petr- I, don't Petr- I, don't know. I don't know if I'll be normal, but I'll be healthy. Petroselli's in next week. And to our viewers and listeners, thank you all for the support. We really appreciate it. And with that being said, happy collecting. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.